Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. On this episode, we're going to review Black Sabbath's 1975 album, Sabotage. Lou, what's your Black Sabbath story and where do you come in with Sabotage? Uh, I first heard Sabbath on a sleepover at my friend's house. We were about eight or ten. I guess we were about ten. And his older brother kept us up all night scaring the shit out of us with Black Sabbath's first album and Paranoid, um, getting us into the, the, the satanic lyrics and all of that, <laughs> even though he, he badly interpreted them. I got We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll along with the first two records, and that kept me busy with Black Sabbath until later on um, in high school when I got sabotaged along with the rest of the catalog. But let's talk about the cover. <laughs> What? What about it? <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is Bill Ward wearing? <laughs> the story goes, it wasn't supposed to be the final photo. So they weren't wearing what they wanted to for the cover. And Bill Ward was wearing his wife's tights. All right. So anybody want to venture a guess why the guy was wearing them in the first place? I mean, <laughs> anyone? Bueller? <laughs> Bueller? Cocaine. It's a hell of a drug. Ah, uh, sure is. This is our third time on the podcast with Sabbath. And as I said before, my father had the Paranoid and Master of Reality albums when I was a kid. So I was exposed to Sabbath very young. But as I got into Kiss in the mid-70s, I kind of stopped listening to anything else <laughs> for a few years. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and the only time I was aware of Sabbath was when I heard the handful of tunes that get played on classic rock radio. So now let's cut to the late 80s. And as I was getting deeper into metal... I became interested in Sabbath again, and by now they were into the Tony Martin era. So I got Headless Cross on cassette, which was new at the time. That was the new Sabbath album. And I liked it, but I was like, wait a minute, this ain't War Pigs. So I set about getting the back catalog, and Sabotage was probably the last of the original six-pack that I picked up, mostly because of that goofy-ass album cover. So that's where I come in with Sabotage. Now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record swiped off of Wikipedia. Sabotage is the sixth studio album by English heavy metal band Black Sabbath, released on July 28, 1975 on Vertigo Records. It was produced by Black Sabbath and Mike Butcher and was recorded in February and March 1975 at Morgan Studios, London, England. It reached number 7 on the UK Albums Chart and number 28 on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified silver by the BPI and gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Ozzy Osbourne on lead vocals, Tony Iommi on guitars, piano, synthesizer, organ, and harp, Geezer Butler on bass, and Bill Ward on drums, percussion, and piano. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. And also, all tracks are written or credited to Black Sabbath. Okay, let's delve into a track-by-track -track analysis of this album. We start the proceedings with Hole in the Sky. I'm living free because the rent's never due. The sin and name of all the things that I've done. I'm just the rental that I built in my 
Lou, what do you think? If you crank it, you can hear each track punch up in the beginning. Some feedback, somebody going, somebody probably, Bill Ward, counting two, three, four, before you're just blasted with this riff that blows your hair back and has you scrambling for the volume button before you annoy your wife or you wake the neighbors. It pounds you like a good fella, pistol whipping you one after the other, like Billy Bats on the barroom floor after Tommy went home and got his fucking shine box. Mm-hmm. The repeating double track guitar goes through a turnaround and repeats itself again. Iomi's riffs are getting more complex since volume four, but this is maximum Ozzy and his key and intensity ain't no joke. He shrieks and makes you want to hit those high notes in the car, but grateful you can keep the windows closed. It's a great headbanging riff, and the Leslie effect that they have going on with the double vocals make, make you off balance when you're wearing headphones. After a verse or two, Tony comes in with that tasty double-tracked solo that weaves from ear to ear. Another shrieking verse from the Ozman, and they're off like a prom dress on this great start to the sixth entry in the heavy rock pantheon. Attack! That's what that. That's what that. <laughs> oh, is that what he said? I just, yeah, ah, I that, <laughs> that's that's Mike oh, Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> then we're hit with a fuzzed-out, layered Tony Iommi riff, so heavy it's like a fucking bulldozer coming to mash your skull. With Geezer Butler's bass holding down the bottom end like a boss, and Bill Ward's drum swinging like a chimpanzee on crack. And somebody must have been squeezing Ozzy Osbourne's nuts because this guy is singing in a high register we never even knew he could hit. And he never really would again after this record. Iommi's leads cut through, but they're more in service to the riffs. There's a lot of long, drawn-out notes. And this whole track is a pure demonstration of the power of the Almighty Sabbath. The lyrics are very open to interpretation, but I read that Butler said they're about pollution. So I take them to mean like the hole in the ozone layer and the coming apocalyptic results of human tampering in the environment. It also plays into the theme of sabotage, as in the human race sabotaging the planet. Whatever they mean, the words are evocative and point to a bleak future for the human race. And Ozzy's voice is the harbinger of doom. I fucking love this track. It's a top 10 Black Sabbath tune for me. And it opens the record in skull-crushing fashion. The next track is Don't Start Too Late. Lou, what do you say? I say, well, holy fuck, that was jarring. <laughs> I guess they didn't have an ending for a hole in this guy's head. They just cut the tape. Someone's blowtorch exploded. Who knows? It's like running into a fucking brick wall. If So if that's the intent, mission accomplished. Um, we all really know that this is for publishing, so I'm going to treat it as the interlude between the last song and the next. It is pretty snazzy classical guitar played by Mr. Iommi, if I don't say so myself. I'm wondering if Geezer's in there as well, but you're saying that he was in on harp and stuff too, so I'm I'm thinking it's all Tony. Probably from, you know, a late night cocaine binge that him and a producer <laughs> in the studio. We're not going out until we get something. <laughs> and it goes out like it came in abruptly. 
So this is titled Don't Start Too Late because engineer David Harris would get frustrated with the band. They'd start playing their takes before Harris had everything set up in the studio. Mm-hmm. So he would say to them, don't start up oh, too late. We've already started. <laughs> so Sabbath frequently did these instrumental interludes on their records, and I usually like them a lot. They're usually short and they're often experimental. This is basically a 49-second classical-style acoustic guitar piece with three different guitar parts, and it sounds nice. And I'm with you, Lou. It serves as a musical bridge or interlude between the first track and the following track. And that following track is Symptom of the Universe. You like this one, Lou? Yeah, I do. What hasn't already been said about this riff, though? Neanderthal and its simplicity, monolithic in its sound. It's, it's timeless. Let's talk about Bill Ward for a second. He drives this sucker like a 73 Caddy Coupe de Ville going down the I-95 at about 85 with intermittent moments of perfect epileptic spasmosity, letting the suspension just kind of take care of everything. I've said it before about drummers like him. He sounds, in a good way, like Eddie Murphy's auntie falling down the stairs. You remember that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, help me, Lord, please, Jesus, please. <laughs> My shoe! I'm halfway down now, heaven Lord. Lillian! What is all that fucking noise? It's another top of his lung shriek fest that Ozzy's just got. He's in the top of his form. Such a hard song to cover. Even tuned down, it's tough. It's tough to match his key. How many others thought he was saying Mother Mooch is calling me back front to her <laughs> silver worm instead of Mother Moon? And seven goddamn unicorns are waiting in the sky. It's really seventh advent unicorn. Thank you, genius.com. <laughs> I'm amazed at the fact that this song's chorus is one word. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs> it's back to the riff. <laughs> the break before the solo is just frenetic. It sounds like it came out of a jam, as does the rest of the song. Then out of nowhere, the song gets like T-boned by Led Zeppelin, an old piece of shit pickup truck with this mildly funky acoustical jam. I mean, what I wonder is why it didn't just split it off into its own little interlude. You get more publishing. Here it's, it kind of gives it like a juicy dangler. Points off for the fade out, though. Wow, that, that one's going to be hard to follow, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Three words. 
Bill motherfucking Ward. Like you said, he drives this thing with an upper mid-tempo propulsive beat, and his fills are practically drum solos in themselves. This highlights what sets this guy apart from the pack and why Bill Ward is the ultimate Sabbath drummer. No disrespect to any of those who followed him. Uh, that falling down the stairs, that's fucking, that, <laughs> that, dude, that's too much, but it does kind of sound like that. Not to be outdone, Riff Lord Iomi comes up with yet another heavy monster that rides that drum beat and gives you the sense of forward thrust. How's it go? <laughs> yes. I dig Butler's slides in the bridge sections, and the solo section introduces a new riff pattern for Iomi to plaster his leads over. Then the last two minutes plus feature a jam with more classical inspired acoustic guitars and a quietly moving bass line that tie this track back to the last one and completely changes the vibe, except for Ozzy, who's still singing aggressively in the entire song. I really love Geezer Butler as a lyricist, even if I sometimes don't understand completely what he's trying to say. In this one, I take it to mean it's about like birth and the pure love that creates a child and fills it when it's first born. With Mother Moons, Seventh Advent, Unicorns, Silver Wombs, Magic Ocean, shit. Maybe it's really about an acid trip geezer had. I don't know. This is sometimes called the first thrash or speed metal song, and I don't know if I really agree with that, but it's certainly an influential track in the metal world, and it fucking rules. The next track is Megalomania. How about this one, Lou? We got a Planet Caravan-ish kind of start to it. Mellow, sitari, mellow, smoky, slower number. Gets more evil as it progresses. It seems like all the mids have been scooped out of the spectrum on this album. It's not an easy listen. At louder volumes, it kind of makes my ears hurt. I'm getting paranoid, electric funeral vibes, but on a much grander scale. Ozzy's bringing us through this miserable trip. You can hear the desperation and isolation in his voice as he delivers his lines. It evolves into another movement around two and a half minutes with a new riff and drum pattern. Sonically, Ozzy's voice sounds more crazed and determined. There's a lot of aggression and animosity behind this album due to some legal trouble with their old manager, and a lot of this is directed at him. The solo is a double-track fuzzed out blues freak out that falls right back into shrieking Ozzy and what I can only call a pre-chorus. Suck me! <laughs> ah! This one clocks in at 17 seconds shy of 10 minutes and you can feel the Led Zeppelin influence by the end. Done in a very Black Sabbath way. Well done. Stumble! A sprawling, epic-sized beast that starts with a moody, quieter section that musically layers guitar after guitar as it progresses, filled with cymbal washes and organ played by Iomi that inundates the listener with dread. Then we get a brief transitional section with banging piano that Ward leads us out of with cowbell, baby! 
to the heavier, more intense portion of the track, where the tempo increases, the guitars crunch, and Ozzy sings with much more urgency with an occasional low harmony added to his vocals that sounds ominous and cool as shit. The tension of the track maintains a high level throughout, unifying it even as structurally it feels kind of patchwork, and some of the transitions are somewhat awkward. The lyrics describe a possibly mentally disturbed person who wants to escape from someone with megalomania, a psychological condition where the person is delusional and thinks that they're dominant, famous, or have power. This is tied into one of the major themes of the album, Sabbath's legal troubles that were happening at the time, which I'll go into more later in the episode. The narrator feels like he's barely holding on to sanity as he knows he must get away from the megalomaniac for his own mental health and well-being. This track is Sabbath's longest at 9 minutes, 42 seconds, and I'm with it every second. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on the thrill of it all. Lou, hit me. The intro to this song jams for a few bars, then completely turns around and morphs into what I would say is a preview of what Ozzy would do melodically in Johnny Blade on Never Say Die in the break. Well, you know that Johnny's a spider. It's kind of the same melody. Once again, it morphs into a completely different riff and tempo, this time with mid 70s sounding keyboards that helped the riff uh, move along. Wow, yeah. Wow, yeah. Two different solos, double tracked seems to be the thing for this guy and he delivers a decent one. I like this one too. The intro feels like it sprang from the previous track with a slow doomy jam with screaming guitar lines and a loose feel. Then a busy thunderous transitional section leads to the main riff which has a slow start-and-stop vibe and leaves a lot of open space for hand claps as Butler's bass follows along with the riff. Then another abrupt transition takes us to the final lengthy section that adds spacey synthesizer lines, numerous overdubbed guitar fills, and a slightly faster, straighter tempo. Ozzy's got to raise his voice to match the sonic density of the music, and lyrically, it's a bit obscure, but what I'm getting from it is that, yes, the world is a fucked up place, even Jesus can see that, but if you go deeper, if you can get past your own problems, real or imaginary, you might find yourself some freedom and your own path in life. You can make your life better and break the shackles of everything you've accepted as fact if you realize it's only what you've been taught. The final way to freedom is to think for yourself. I'm probably wrong, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. The original master of this track was accidentally erased by tape operator David Harris, so the band had to re-record it from scratch. I dig this. To me, it's kind of an overlooked gem in the Sabbath catalog. Oh, yeah. I can't even do it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The following track is Super Czar.
about this one, Lou? So this is four minutes of cocaine-fueled self-indulgence. Sounds more like a concert intro than a song. This is totally self-serving filler. I usually skip this. La 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 Heavy guitars, ominous choir, which you just did very well. Glockenspiel, Sam George. Marshall drumming, a harp played by Iomi. A harp, not not harp is in harmonica, like a harp. That stringed instrument. All combined to make an instrumental track that would serve for years as Black Sabbath's intro music before they took the stage in concert. The vocals were done by the English Chamber Choir, arranged by Will Malone, and on the day the choir was recording, Ozzy showed up to the studio, saw the choir, thought he was in the wrong studio, and left. It's an interesting piece of music. To me, it's at once dreamy and nightmarish, and like I often say, I like it when Sabbath gets experimental with their interludes and instrumentals. I dig this. I, I, it's not, you know, it's not a superior track, but I'll take it. The penultimate track is Am I Going Insane Radio. When I step outside now. Lou, let's have it. This one was on uh, We Sold Our Souls to Rock and Roll, and it's what made me want that record. I heard it blasting out of my friend's older brother's room behind a closed door, so we snuck in later after he left and found the record and some of his weed and had a pretty cool afternoon. Sorry, Steve. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot more commercial sounding than uh, we're used to with Sabbath, but it's a great song. I dig the boomba, 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 boomba kind of bass line. Um, and they've double-tracked Oz's with a uh, bouncy verse and a uh, harmonized monotone chorus. It, the maniacal laughter at the end that morphs into that disturbing moan of a person who sounds like they're being tortured. I can only imagine what's going on. It's probably way worse in my head. It's a great track, and it's worthy of a greatest hits pick. Pop Sabbath. Uh, you know you're in trouble. When the only single that didn't chart off a Black Sabbath album is based off a poppy synth line. And this track is all glossy and shiny. All the edges have been dulled. And Ozzy's vocals are reined in. And it totally sounds like he's going through the motions to me. Especially on that chorus, which is designed to be a sing-along chant. But Ozzy sounds bored as fuck to me. He sounds bored stiff. Iomi's melodic solo is the only thing I initially latched onto, as well as at the end of the track with the crazed laughing, which I guess was done by a friend of the band, and that crying, which was which Mike Butcher said it was just found on an unidentified tape. The lyrics are self-explanatory. The narrator is a paranoid schizophrenic. Ooh. The word radio in the title came from an in-joke with the Sab 4 in which Butler was rhyming radio rental with the word mental, and so radio just became a synonym with mental. Whatever. Over the years, this track has grown on me, but still, this is my least favorite by far on this record. So this is Aaron's Stinky Stinker. I'm surprised. I thought it would be super sore. And that brings us to the final track, The Writ. 
How about this last one, Lou? Well, the moans and screams continue into the dark chamber that we find geezer noodling a groove when the rest of the band comes slamming in on all eight cylinders. Ozzy's vocal delivery is right in your face. They've got a Leslie or something on his voice that makes it warble, but he's full-on screaming these verses with a fire and vengeance of someone on the brink of homicide. The drop-off back to Geezer's groove starts it all over again, like he wasn't done with his rage and needed to turn around and do it all over again to get it all out. Hey, fuck you, man. You suck. And this is why. And this is what I want to do to you. It segues into a slinky repeating groove as Ozzy changes his vocal melody. There's a low track and a high vocal track, doubled. And this is like a whole movement. It builds to a crescendo, but then drops into a harpsichord chamber music section. And Ozzy sounds like a sad clown crooning into an echoplex. (laughs) Even though it sounds like chamber music, it puts you in an uneasy, creepy place. It, It doesn't feel good, but that's okay. This is Black Sabbath. Around seven minutes or so, Someone plugs them back in again as they forage ahead, rocking to the third movement, pounding away until some shithead fades out the track for a disappointing finish. Overall, a good track with some missteps along the way. So the laughing and crying, like you said, it melts into a wobbly bass line and then a slamming heavy metal stomper crashes in. And holy fuck nugget, Mr. Ozzy Osbourne's voice reaches heights never before heard and would never be heard again. He is raging, constantly on the edge of all out screaming his own lyrics instead of Butler's as he takes aim at the music business in general and more specifically at the band's former manager, Patrick Meehan, who did guide Sabbath to international success, but he was fired for mismanaging the band's finances and taking advantage of the lopsided managerial contracts common with musical artists at the time to line his own pockets and fuck over the band members. This shit happened all the time to 60s and 70s artists, over and over again. After being fired, Meehan would sue Sabbath, and that turned into a legal quagmire that lasted for years and put a serious strain on the band that served as inspiration for much of this album, but also nearly burned them out. Ozzy sings of betrayal and anger, calling Meehan Satan and a vulture. He wants to place a curse on the former manager and says he's going to get what's coming to him. Now, as the track progresses, Ozzy's voice lessens on the vitriol as the acoustic guitars enter and Ozzy's voice becomes more pleading. He sounds exhausted. This legal battle has taken a toll on him and he just wants it over and done with. Musically, this lengthy track takes us on a journey through different heavy and light sections. By the time it fades on a repeated final heavy motif, we feel like we've been through the ringer with the band. Brilliant fucking album closer that sums up Sabbath's mental state at the time. And then there's that goofy low-volume hidden track called Blow on a Jug or some shit at the very end that has Ward on piano and Ozzy literally blowing on a jug that the producer threw on as a joke. The band didn't even know that he did that. Ozzy and Ward were just fucking around, didn't even know they were being recorded. It's, it's silly, but, you know, it's, it it's, doesn't mean anything. Does your version have it? Because I guess some, some versions of Sabotage don't have it. Mine does not. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. Now that the track-by-track is concluded, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which got served or writ and is going to lose in court. Lou, give us your final thoughts on Sabotage. Although it's not my first choice for Sabbath records, it's got 
a few of the best in the catalog. It's a different Sabbath by this point in their career, and substances and egos have kind of taken over the spotlight and the band itself. Sabbath were a bit of a train wreck at the end. They'd have two lackluster albums after this before both Ozzy and the rest of Sabbath would have to reinvent themselves. And Ozzy went off the rail on his own crazy train. I give Sabotage a three. There's way too much filler, but what's good is great. There's a school of thought that goes that this album is the last great record by the original Black Sabbath. And I'm inclined to agree with that. I don't hate the two following albums, Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die, but Sabotage marks the end of the peak original Sabbath for me. It was recorded under difficult circumstances, with the band ensconced in a legal battle with their former manager and the band members themselves falling deeper and deeper into substance abuse and exhaustion. Tony Iommi took the reins musically and somehow found he still had more incredible riffs and leads up his ass to pull out for this record. And Geezer Butler delivered some of his best lyrics on tracks like Hole in the Sky, Megalomania, and The Thrill of It All. Bill Ward, despite being mired in alcoholism and at times physically not up to snuff, always found a way to pull himself together to record his usual stellar jazzy drum parts. But this album is notable for Ozzy Osbourne stepping up and killing it with his vocals. His voice reaches higher peaks than he would ever be able to muster again, and in a lot of ways, he's the star of the show here. There's also plenty of musical experimentation with synthesizers and such that continued over from the band's previous album, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, and they add more progressive rock elements on a couple of long tracks, like Megan Wilmania and The Rit, that stretch out Sabbath's creativity and songwriting chops. This is kind of a dark horse record for many Sabbath fans. It kind of flies under the radar to the general public when compared to like Paranoid or Master of Reality. But most hardcore fans know how good it is, and for many, it's their favorite Sabbath record of all of them. For me, let me first say that I worship at the altar of Black Sabbath, one of my favorite bands of all time. And I like all the band's eras, from Ozzy to Dio, even to Tony Martin. I even like the quirky records like Born Again and Seventh Star. Tony Iommi is a god in my eyes, but the original Sabbath holds a very special place in my heart. I mean, they've been with me over 50 years at this point, and the first six Sabbath albums are holy writ, untouchable. Sabotage isn't my very favorite Sabbath album, but it's still in rarefied air in my universe. I give Sabotage a four, and even as the wheels began to come off for the band starting here, this record proves that they still had more badassery than most left in the tank. Don't get me wrong, Technical Ecstasy and half of Never Say Die is, are amazing records. Yeah, they've got some good stuff on them. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Lou. See ya. Free me. Suck me. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
the fuck is with those tights? <laughs> oh yeah, it's the best album cover ever. And they said, and and he said, uh, well, it was you know just like the, you know, the test picture. Yeah. Was sort of like the demo, you know. So we weren't even wearing the clothes that we wanted. It well, was that's like, what they we, thought. That's what they thought it was. <laughs> So, yeah, it was like I was wearing my wife's tights. Like, why were you wearing your wife's, wife's tights? tights? You know, it's like no one's asked that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. We know what you were wearing. The question is why, Bill? Why? <laughs> why were you wearing Why, Bill? Cocaine. Well, yeah, really. Yeah. What were you thinking, dude? Dude, I loved how you described it. It gets T-boned by the fucking I almost lost my shit when you said that. <laughs> I don't know how I held it together when you said that. Your, your review of this, this is going to be one of those ones that I'm always going to remember. This is like one of the, your best reviews. <laughs> fucking, it killed me. That was great. <laughs>